Hey, this is Howard Jacobson, and I'm joined via Skype today by Randy Clemens, who is the author of two cookbooks, uh, right? The, That's uh, correct. You had the, the first one was the Sriracha Cookbook, and the second one was the Veggie Lovers Sriracha Cookbook. So, That's uh, right. well, welcome, Randy. Thank you so much for having me. A great pleasure. Um, so, I first came across this cookbook not because of my interest in plants, but because of my interest in sriracha. Uh, am I saying it right, by the way? Uh, absolutely. I, I think uh, I hear sriracha and sriracha a lot, and I think both those are just perfectly acceptable. <laughs> Excellent. So so as someone who, who loves it even more than me, by, by um, evidenced by the fact that you made an entire cookbook based on this one ingredient, I'd love to start by just telling us how, how did you come upon a, a love affair with this particular condiment? And maybe for people who aren't familiar with it, tell us what the heck it is. Sure. So, so for anyone who's not familiar with sriracha, it's a magical hot sauce. Um, it's it's the the main version is made by a company called Hoi Fong Foods um, in Southern California near Los Angeles, where where I'm located, and it's a uh, it's a typically a fermented hot sauce uh, made with red jalapenos, garlic, sugar, salt, and vinegar. Um, they throw a few little preservatives in just to keep it shelf stable. But it's got a really, really exceptional balance of heat and flavor, in my opinion. It's almost too hot for a lot of people, I think. But right as it approaches that kind of tolerance level I think most people have, it backs off and it takes you back for another bite. And just the flavor it has is, is wonderful. The, the tang from the vinegar, uh, the, the pungency from the garlic, the, the sweet, the salty, the heat, it really kind of dances all over your palate, and it's very complementary, in my opinion, to a lot of different cuisines. So it's not just, you know, sort of relegated just to um, Asian cuisine. It can kind of work in all sorts of different things. So my first introduction to it, a good friend of mine is Vietnamese, and when we were in high school together about 15, 16 years ago, um, God, it was 15, 16 years ago, um, I was was spending quite a bit of time uh, at his house. We we're in band and jazz band together and I did not live particularly close to our school and he did. So, um, we'd have a lot of late night band practices and, you know, weekend band. So I'd stay at his house quite a bit and I got to fall in love with his mom's cooking. Um, I'd never had Vietnamese food before and I just, I was so in love with it. And one morning she'd made this big bowl of uh, gum gian, which is a Vietnamese fried rice. And there was a bottle of sriracha on the counter and, and no one was really using it. No one said, you know, Oh, try this. But I was really, taken by the bottle it's just it's a beautiful um bottle that bright red sauce and a green cap and um you know all the different languages on it i was just like well i I have to try this and you know i put my first little taste on there and and sort of the clouds parted and the sun shone through and and i was i was hooked from that point forward um and just over the years started um, using it on a lot of dishes just as a condiment but um, through culinary school and and over the years I started using it in things as an ingredient, not just a condiment. And really then I, I came to truly appreciate, I think, its potential. And, uh, yeah, just fell in love. And here I am now. <laughs> okay. So, so it's, it sounds, it's become really sort of cult popular, but it sounds like you discovered it before the American mainstream. So it was, it's a Vietnamese origin, dish of origin that you had at a Vietnamese household. So this was kind of a secret for a long time. Yeah, and you know, they, 
his whole family just thought it was so, I guess, charming that, you know, this, this little white, white kid was <laughs> falling so in love with their cuisine. And I mean, it was, it was so vastly different than anything I'd ever had before. And I wasn't a hot sauce person or anything. And I just, I was like a sponge and his mom loved me because she could always dish me up seconds and I would just devour the food that I think, you know, her kids were maybe a little tired of after all these years. But to me, it was the greatest thing on earth. So, um, and, and at that point, they kind of started taking me with them to the Asian markets and I got to go to a pho shop and kind of get walked through all those things. I ended up going to, to Vietnam with them many years later, um, which was just one heck of a treat. But I really, um, you know, owe a lot to, to them and, uh, I'm still very good friends and very close with them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure to have known about it so long ago and gotten to play with it. And really when I started, putting recipes together and thinking about this idea of a cookbook. It just happened to be a really great timing that this article had come out in the New York Times. This was in mid-2009, and it was that told the whole backstory that this was a Thai style of hot sauce and that the American version that I'd fallen in love with was nothing like the Thai versions. And so to get to be re-excited about it and to have a whole other learning curve, I was like, okay, I, I have to make this book. Um, there's a great story and all these recipes I've been working on. Um, so yeah, and, and even then though, there were people who were calling sriracha a fad or saying it was hipster sauce or hipster ketchup, but that was 2009 and, you know, and here we are 2014 and it's stronger than ever and people are still saying the same thing. But for me, it's, it's not a fad. It's, uh, you know, it's been my, my way of life, my way of cooking for, for many years and I, I'm still very much in love with it. Yeah. Well, food, you know, when it comes out, it's, it's seen as a fad, but good food, Never goes away. Like sushi was a fad, and it's it's calmed down. But there's still tons of sushi shops. Like frozen yogurt was a fad, but you, I still see it everywhere. If, if people like it, it never they never say, "Well, I'm done with that." Yeah, and I think a lot of those times, what ends up happening is it sort of uh, filters out. Anytime something trends, you've got people who who, who glom on uh, to make a buck, and I think those those tend to be. Uh, the ones that are the first to go, or at least don't, don't hang on very long. The ones that are really doing something quality and because they really love it, it'll stick around. So like you were saying, sushi, I mean, I, I guarantee there are a bunch of really crappy sushi restaurants that opened up in this, during the sushi wave. And I would hope, you know, that, that just by natural selection, more or less, they, they faded out over time. And now we're left with some really great sushi restaurants as a result, you know, sort of the ones that, that remained the favorites, even when it wasn't uh, in its zeitgeist, so to say. So, um, but yeah, I, there's all kinds of things coming out. You know, will the, will the Subway Sriracha cream sauce last? I, I don't know. Um, there, there's all these places now kind of coming out with Sriracha products for their restaurant chains. And, um, the, the Lay's Sriracha potato chips in my mind were a huge disappointment. Uh, I, I thought they were tasty, but they sure as heck didn't taste like anything like Sriracha to me. So, but things like that, I think some of those will in- invariably die out. Um, there are some people doing smaller batch Srirachas, their own versions, you know, that aren't meant to taste just like the Hoi Fung Foods version. If that's what you're trying to do, I don't see the purpose. Just go out and buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are people now making their own versions that are really, really fun to try. Um, there's a small producer in Brooklyn called JoJo's that's making some wonderful sriracha, and she's aging some of it in, like, old bourbon barrels. And 
Um, there's other, there's a friend of mine who runs a blog called the uh, Cupcake Friday Project, and she grows habaneros in her backyard, and she's made some habanero sriracha and sent it to me in the mail, and we do little trades and stuff like that. So it's really neat that people are, are, you know, exploring more and more possibilities. I mean, that's kind of where I got the start for the book was, you know, this is great on stuff, but can it be great in stuff? And so it's just, I love it. And I hope more and more people keep coming out with their, their ideas of what Sriracha can be. Right. So you mentioned, you know, Subway and, and, uh, the, the, the potato chips and obviously people put it on their, on their meat and, but I, you know, the reason we're talking is that I'm really interested in your, your vegetable ministry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, for me, whenever, whenever I cook something and it turns out to be lousy, like, I feel like the sriracha is metaphorically behind the glass that I have to break with a little hammer. That I, <laughs> I can save just about anything. And so for a lot of people who are not veggie fans, um, you know, your cookbook is, is a wonderful introduction to the idea that, you know, all right, if you don't love vegetables, but you know they're good for you, at least turn them into a carrier for something you love. So t- tell me about your, your evolution of, of, um, your relationship with with the plant kingdom. Sure. So I think you know there was there was a while where I was um, unintentionally leaning towards a little bit you know introducing more vegetables. Um, I went through culinary school. I dined at plenty of steakhouses, and you know I, I was never uh, bothered by. I always loved the flavor. It wasn't a flavor thing for me, but I don't know. I guess I got a little tired of it. Just. You know, uh, don't get me wrong. I always thought they were delicious, but a steak was a steak was a steak, more or less. Um, and I became, I found myself becoming more interested when I went out to eat and what chefs could do with vegetables. Because growing up, vegetables were always a side dish, and it was they were steamed ninety percent of the time. And so it wasn't anything that was ever introduced to me as like, hey, these can be these can be shining stars. Vegetables can be so interesting if you let them. Um, and so going out to restaurants and finding these vegetable-centric dishes, not very often, mind you, but when I would see them, it was like, oh, I've never, I've never had Brussels sprouts, you know, fried or roasted or what have you, or period, really. My mom wasn't, uh, she, unfortunately, her, her mother and her grandmother overcooked the hell out of some of my favorites, eggplant and Brussels sprouts and asparagus. And so much so that when I ended up cooking them and cooking them for, you know, the right amount of time, which is usually, you know, less than most recipes give you. Um, you know, you, you started to change some palates. My mom would, would come near eggplant. You just didn't tell her it was in the dish and you cooked it right and she would love it. And at the end, oh, what was that? Oh, it was eggplant. Um, so I, I kind of started getting curious in that respect. And then, um, as I think happens to some people, um, I read a, I read a book. Um, this wonderful, it's actually a really, really great book. I've given it to many people since, but it was called Eating Animals by, uh, Jonathan Safran Foer. Um, and I'd seen him on a, on a show on Food Network or something like that, just talking about his book, a daytime talk show actually. And he was talking about his book and, and the idea was that he and his wife had long flirted with vegetarianism. They'd been on and off over the years and now they were expecting their first child. And they came to the realization that, you know, their choices would impact, directly impact the health and well-being of their child. And really, what does it mean to build a foundation uh, of a growing child or any person uh, by eating meat? What did it mean? And it, it didn't, 
It didn't come off as preachy. It was just the very, very scary information he came across about health and environment and ethics and all these things that I guess I really hadn't put my mind to thinking about at all. And by the end of the first chapter, uh, I, I, I knew that I, I was, I had to make a change and that I could no longer, um, personally eat meat. But I, I've kept with that same style of not, I'm not a preachy vegetarian. I'm not trying to convert the world. I'm not trying to, you know, tell someone that what they're doing is wrong because if you want a surefire way to get someone to shut you out and to tell them that they're wrong. Um, so for me, I've just, you know, sort of taken his information and, and embraced it and um, researched it further. You know, I don't just take things from one source, but I really appreciated his style of delivering that information and not being preachy about it. Um, my editor calls those kinds of people tofu Nazis. And um, I've always aimed to not be one of those either and just really show people um, this, the second book included that, you know, vegetables can be great. And this doesn't have to be for someone who's vegetarian or vegan. It could be for anyone who's just trying to see how great, you know, vegetables can be because I think a lot of people were raised the same way of, you know, these, these were a steamed side dish or an overcooked or an overbraised or whatever the case may be. Um, but veggies can be fried and grilled and roasted and all sorts. Of, and even they can be great steams too, but there's just so many ways you can get creative with them um, that I wasn't exposed to. Um, and so I, I kind of wanted to open, help people open their eyes to those as well and just think outside the box a little bit and, and reimagine things. Um, so for anyone who's doing a meatless Monday or just who's curious, you know, like, oh, what, what can I do with Brussels sprouts? I think you'll find, I keep pointing to them because they are, they're really one of my favorite, um, vegetables, but, um, you know, what, what, what can I do? And I think there's a lot of people who are becoming more curious now and, th and thankfully a lot more restaurants, um, have a few veg vegetable items on their menu and they don't call it the, the vegetarian plate anymore or something like that because it's just so <laughs> it feels so exclusive like you know it's it's only for vegetarians you know it's for anyone who wants to take a break who wants to get their digestive system a break or you know just has heard all the kind of irrefutable evidence that it's healthier for you um mind you you can be a very unhealthy vegetarian uh <laughs> i i can testify <laughs> personally you know, pizza and potato chips are vegetarian and plant-based at least potato chips but you know you get the point it's um uh you know I, I really just wanted to get people to to find the the, the glory that comes right from the ground and and you know one just so many things that eating animals book struck a chord with me, but you know the idea that it takes 22 pounds of plant food to make one pound of of beef, and how inefficient that is. And I'd much rather eat the 22 pounds of plant material, you know, and and skip all the water waste and all those kinds of things. So that was my my big changeover. You know, all all those things put together, really, in that book, it, it came together as a perfect storm of like, okay, well, I have no more excuses now if I if I keep eating meat it is strictly for hedonistic and and selfish reasons and so it was it was right for me to make that change and it's it's been uh, the greatest change i've made in my life honestly it's been about four years now and i've just become a much more compassionate person as a result not just to animals but to other people and uh, you know i don't know if that was from other things going on but um i really feel it had a lot to do with it mm. well yeah I'm, I'm very curious about your transition um you know, I think there, there's people who try to transition because they, they hear something or their doctor tells them something or some part of them is attracted to it, but they don't, 
they're not fully embracing it. And so, you know, you really struck me what you just said, that you became a more compassionate person. But, of course, there's no way to tease out one particular influence. But it's just it was more like you were now a more compassionate person in one um, you're, you're in this evolution, and one aspect of that was changing the way you ate. So I'm, I'm curious: did you were you able to like one day turn off the animal products and the dairy and the eggs and the butter and all that, or you know was it a challenge? Did it feel like like just as simple as putting on an, another shirt? Yes and no. Um, for me. It was like I said. I was I was on a plane. I was actually going to Vietnam with uh, with my friend. Um, it was my big my first time to Asia, and it was it was something we talked about for ten you know the better part of ten years, and so it was really exciting. But I'd brought this book along, not expecting at all to you know to I just was going to be reading a book. I didn't think at all that I'd come out of it a vegetarian. <laughs> um, but by the end of the first chapter, I mean it was to me it was so immediately crystal clear that I, that I needed to, you know, to stop. So what I did was that that trip to Asia was sort of my, my goodbye, my farewell to meet. And, you know, I, I, um, tried everything while I did Vietnam, Thailand and Korea. That was like my big present to myself for getting the book, um, to go through. And, and it was just really, um, my own pat on, pat on the back. And, um, so, but I, I knew then and there. And again, I was fortunate to have gone through culinary school and learned how to properly cook vegetables and gone out to restaurants and, and really started. Again, I was in, inadvertently leaning um, by just ordering all these vegetable dishes. So I had a good base when I got home of, OK, I've got some ideas about things I can cook and other recipes that were simple as, I mean, how often have you gone to a restaurant and looked at their salad list and seen the chicken grilled chicken breast on every single one of them or, you know, and it's. Things like that where, you know, I can make that exact same salad, just leave out the chicken or um, things like that. So, so many are just adaptable by simply omitting whatever meat's called for. Um, so I, I feel like I had a really good base there. Vegan, I'm not perfect. I, I do love, I do love some cheese. I worked in a cheese shop for about four years and I've worked on a dairy farm. And, and so, um, you know, I really tried to, keep that to artisan cheese when possible but that is one area where i slack unfortunately but it's something that i really am in aiming to change um but really vegetarian has been has been easy it really has i, I don't it was a, a, a switch flipped in my in my brain and and really i don't have cravings i never have for meat uh it still smells good to me but i'm i'm not i i know what it means now to eat the meat and it's just not it's not something i i've been interested in so that was easy for me um and i understand it's a challenge for some people but for me i made a decision in my mind and it's the largest promise i ever made to myself and i intend to keep it um you know if if i can't keep my own word to myself what what good is my word to anyone else um so and but yeah on the vegan side I, I could uh I could use a little a little more kick but um <laughs> so far this this I've uh this this month I plan to be 100% raw vegan and I've, I've done that so far and I might see how far, how long, much longer I can go with it um raw I'm definitely ready to come off of it's been great but I, I do want to do it for the month um just for detox purposes but it's um it is a it can be a challenge but it doesn't have to be and really I I do think there's so many people taking an interest in it now that it's going to become easier. 
uh, more restaurants are having things and more uh, dishes and more stores are carrying vegetarian friendly items, um, you know, sort of more obscure ingredients that you have to go to a health food store to find in the past or, or order online. All these things are accessible at our fingertips now and the information, the recipes and, and video tutorials, everything we've ever, we could have ever asked for, um, short of having, you know, someone in your kitchen making it for you or showing you how to make it. It's at our fingertips now. So really for me, it's almost been like my own culinary school now. I got to go back to school and be my own teacher and, um, reimagine these things and see how I can adapt some of them. At the same time, I like to keep it plant-based. I don't, I'm not a big fan of the, the processed soy crap that you can buy. Once in a while, don't get me wrong, I, you know, there's something about having like a big veggie brat or something, just, um, but for the most part, I, I really like it to be vegetables. And so, um, you're finding, I'm finding more of these blogs coming up now that are doing the same thing, vegetable based. There's a little chain called Veggie Grill, um, that, that does a lot of, that has been doing a lot more soy kind of and, and wheat based, seitan based, um, protein substitutes. But I think they've heard from a lot of their customers, hey, we want more vegetables. And they're, they're answering, you know, and I, I really think that's great. This level of communication we now have, we really are able to vote with our forks. And uh, more and more people are doing it, and more and more restaurants and stores and, and, and farmers are listening. You see more farms going organic, and, you know, rather than seeing the situation as hopeless with the all the all the stuff you are inadvertently attacked with about Monsanto and all these terrible, big, huge agribusinesses that are doing awful things to our earth, there's a lot more good people out there doing little things, and they're only going to grow if we support them. And so more than rallying against the big guy that's doing awful things, which, hey, I'm all for, but it's really important to support the little guys and what they're doing locally and, and really they're going to be the ones that listen. You know, hey, I, I really liked, you know, this. Are you going to be growing that again next season? Or um, what else do you have like this? Or how do you recommend cooking this? Go to your farmer's market and talk to those people. They, they know because they're growing it. What do you think they're cooking at home? It's what they're growing. And they'll tell you. They figure, Guys who are growing asparagus, they'll tell you how to cook the asparagus because they know how. And, um, you know, just don't be afraid to ask questions. We're, we're all here to learn. We get one chance at this, and there's no instruction manual. And, um, you know, just find what works for you and, and uh, really embrace it. So you mentioned that uh, going plant-based, you became more, or going vegetarian specifically, you became more compassionate. I'm curious what other changes you noticed when you, when you made this shift in terms of maybe, you know, health, energy, appearance, the things, the things people care about, um, you know, as, as a personal, sure, personal sure. testimony. Well, like I said, I, um, you could very easily be an unhealthy vegetarian, but, um, you know, really looking at eating whole foods is, is, is what I found to be the key. So vegetables and, um, things that are whole within themselves, you know, not just things that are extracted from. So, you know, oils are good, but eating a handful of, say, raw nuts would be better. You're getting the fat that way, uh, the good fats, but you're also eating a whole food. It's not just an oil that's extracted. And, and those have been big changes for me, but I did. I, I, there was a period where I was 235 pounds. Um, and I'm five foot seven and it wasn't muscle. <laughs> um, you know, after kind of making this, this change to vegetarianism, it really helped me. I dropped about 70 pounds. Um, and I was, I was hovering around 170 for a long time. And another promise I'd made to myself was that I'd never get back over 200 pounds. However, last year, uh, December, I went back up to 210. I, I really 
portion control became my problem. Um, you know, I was no longer feeling the health benefits that I had been feeling for so long with eating, eating plants and, you know, starting to lead a little more of an active lifestyle. Um, but now I, I'm actually, you're interviewing me. I'm at a place called Optimum Health Institute in San Diego. Um, I've been here for three weeks and that's, it's a raw vegan program that also works with detoxing and uh, uh, too much wheatgrass. <laughs> I am so, I'm a little tired of wheatgrass right now, but, um, it's, it's really amazing. I, I put on 40 pounds last year and I was not feeling good. It was because I was eating too much and going out to eat a lot and, and just eating way too much. Um, so, you know, don't, don't think it's a, a magic pill that, you know, Oh, I can stop eating meat and I'm going to lose all this weight. You very well could. Um, and, but the way to look at it is, is that's going to really help you with doing other things, but it's not just, you know, anyone who thinks you can take a pill and, and shed all these pounds you know, and even if it works in the, in the short term, you know, long term, it's got to be a lifestyle and a way of life. Um, so, but yeah, for me, I, I am, I'm, I'm here now doing it and I've dropped 25 pounds in a little over two weeks just from doing a raw plant-based diet, juicing, block too much wheatgrass <laughs> and, you know, some physical exercise. Um, but it was a, it was a reminder. And they said it this morning, actually, that vegetables can change lives. I mean, there are people here. I'm lucky to be here. Um, as more preventative care and to get better in shape. There are people who come here with what they call health opportunities, but illnesses such as cancer and, and things like that. And people are, are cured simply by changing their, 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 their focus, their, their spiritual and their mind, the well-being and eating whole foods, going with a raw vegan diet, too much wheatgrass and all these things. But it, you, you see such a, ch- I've seen such a, such a change in so many people here. Um, and those that are, in much tougher battles than I am. Again, I, I feel so fortunate to be here to witness it. Um, but it's, they said, when they said it this morning, vegetables can change lives. I, it, it made me think back about what I was talking about earlier, just how I've become so much more compassionate, um, but also how it's affected my health. And I do, I've, I've got so much energy when I eat right. It's incredible. Um, and it, this has been a great reminder of that because I lost, I lost track of it. Um, so yeah. Yeah, it's 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 easy to lose track. You know, there's there's uh, unless you're living in an optimal health institute type <laughs> environment, you know, every everything around us is telling us that what's normal is to eat like other Americans. Um, yeah, well, and there's you know I, I hear it thrown around a lot more the the, the acronym standard American diet SAD is sad, and that's exactly what it is. And and when I've traveled. Yeah, when I was in Korea, I saw a lot more of the sort of American style convenience foods, the really highly processed stuff that was just in a sterile, aseptic package that was going to be fine on a shelf for two years. But, you know, that food is dead. It's dead. There's nothing, there can't be anything left in it, any of the vitamins and nutrients. They can't be, I couldn't imagine they're bioavailable. So yes, you, you're technically getting some caloric sustenance, but to me, any value, any real value in that food is gone. And I was seeing more of that kind of popping up and really being embraced. And I get it. It's, it's engineered. It's manufactured to be addictive and, and pleasing to your palate. It's got the right amount of fat, the right amount of salt. They try, they try hundreds of combinations on focus groups before they find the one that gets people eating the most of it. We're not their, we're not their customers. We're their consumers. Big food companies, their customers are their shareholders. We're their consumers. And they're trying to please their shareholders. And so I always think of that when I'm buying something, a packaged product. And, um, just really, it was scary to see those taking off a little bit more. And you could, you could see heavier people coming around in these countries that have traditionally 
been in shape. I mean, as Americans, we now are in a really weird place that we are the most overweight and the most undernourished at the same time. And it's because we're eating a ton of calories, but they have no value to them. There's no vitamins or minerals or enzymes contained within them. So people are getting, they keep eating because their body is telling them they haven't gotten enough vitamins. I, to me, that's what my idea of hunger's become now. It's not, I haven't eaten enough. It's that I haven't eaten enough nutrients that my body was asking for. So you can pump down a whole bag of potato chips and still feel hungry because you know, you're not adding anything of real value to your body. So your stomach just keeps stretching and it's very stressful in the digestive system. Um, so we do, we have people that are obese and malnourished at the same time, not getting enough nutrients, but at the same time, you know, hundred over a hundred pounds overweight. And it's a, it's a, it's a disease of uh, gluttony and, it's really it's taking a toll on our economy, our, our healthcare system. Which you know, don't get me started on that. But <laughs> we're here to talk about cookbooks. But well, it's all know, it's all it's, it's all related. I mean, you it know, is, the, and that's the, what I've found over the years. And and it, it does. It's costing billions of dollars because all this extra weight. I mean, I was telling someone the other day. You know, I think people. Oh, I gained five pounds. I lost five pounds. Pick up a five pound bag of flour and walk up a hill with it. And feel how much more strenuous it is. You you work a lot harder, and just think that was on your hips and your knees and all your joints. And it's it's no wonder we're tired. And I'm not excluding myself. I'm I'm just as guilty. Um, and I'm I'm finally coming to the damn realization, you know, better late than never, um, that I really need to take take better inventory of that. So um, I'm I'm a little reluctant to ask you now that I know you're in the the end phases of a raw vegan <laughs> cleanse to talk about some of the recipes in sure. the book. Do no, you, I can still do that. Sure, you can, you're not going to start chewing on the pages, are you? No, no, no. Okay, so um, you've got you've got um, you know, sriracha is not just for for entrees. Or side dishes, you have it in, in pretty much everything. Share with us some of your the most surprising winners, like something you thought, well, let's just try this, and, and then you're like, holy cow, this really works. Yeah, I think well, one of one of my bigger surprises was just how happy I was with breakfast. I mean, the breakfast chapters in both books have have become my favorites. Um, you know, in in I've got a really good, uh, I think I call it Mean Quiche Florentine, and it's. Uh, it's tofu and cashew based mainly, um, to get that sort of eggy feel and, um, the colors you can get. I mean, just from, you know, cause you add a little turmeric to give it that yellow sort of eggy look for a quiche, but with the sriracha, it becomes this beautiful deep orange. And, you know, that was something I, I was hoping for. And when it came out of the, of the oven and I got to see it, um, then it was really, you know, like, Oh, cool. It really look at that color. I love that color. Um, same within the first book, there's a fire roasted corn chowder recipe with the same idea. Just the color is stunning. And as far as crazy, there was one I sort of did almost as a joke because I didn't think it, I thought it had potential, but I didn't know if it was going to work. And that is the pineapple upside down cake, um, in the, in the veggie lovers book. So it's, it's a vegan recipe, but it's a pineapple upside down cake. And, you know, once you turn it out, you've got those little holes in the pineapple rings where you normally put, uh, maraschino cherries. And that's where I put, 
you know, puddles of sriracha. And it looks really cool, and it certainly is a conversation piece, but I, I wondered if it was going to taste good. Now, I, I do smear it around the piece before I start eating. It, it is a bit of a novelty to serve it that way, but it's best to spread it around so you don't just get a giant bite of it. But I took a bite, and I just started laughing. I couldn't believe that it worked. It was so good, and I was, I was pretty proud of myself that day. <laughs> But uh, that was definitely the, the biggest surprise. Um, you know, on the, on the less surprising front, uh, the burgers in both books, the, the, there's a black bean and mushroom uh, patty in the veggie book that I really, really like. And um, there's all sorts of things you can use now, beans, quinoa, uh, or just, just vegetables. If you, you know, put them through a food processor, you can make it kind of pasty. But I, I like a little texture, so I try to keep some some chunky bits in there so it's not just like you're eating some extruded <laughs> vegetable paste. But uh, you can get really creative with them, and you're getting plenty of protein from from the beans or the quinoa. And, and, and on the subject of quinoa, you know, or brown rice even, you can use all these things, wild rice. Um, but I, I did. I made a really big effort to, to make notes for anyone who uh, has, has issues with gluten or is, is looking to exclude gluten from their um from their diet, there's notes on on all these kind of how to adapt them for a uh, gluten free uh, uh, diet. So, so um, what's the, what would you say is the easiest recipe if someone was uh, you know what's your gateway <laughs> veggie lovers sriracha recipe and may, maybe you could even give me permission to to uh, to post one recipe and then with with a link to the book. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, the, happy to. You know, there's a lot of, I think the base sauces that are in the very beginning of the book are, are really great places to start to kind of see what you like and, and see how your heat tolerance maybe stacks up to mine. Because I, um, you know, with a hot sauce cookbook, you want to, I wanted to err on the side of spicy. I, I hate going to a restaurant and ordering the 10 on the spicy scale and have it just come back weak and limp and you know i was I'm, i would beg you know is, is there something i could sign i won't send it back please give me spice please so i hear a little you should wear the shirt say oh honorary vietnamese guy there you go um so i i, I err on the side of spicy um so i think the, those are kind of a good way to gauge you know like if i call for a, a half a cup of sriracha which i do in some recipes you can you know try it with a quarter cup and then say like Oh, okay, I can take this. I'll, I'll add a little more or I'll, you know, that gives you a kind of good base for the rest of the book of wherever Randy calls for this much, I'll cut it in half or, you know, use a little bit less or something like that. But there's like a, uh, you know, sriracha mayo, um, which is as simple as it sounds, but I do include instructions on how to, you know, make your own mayonnaise, like a flax mayonnaise. If you've never done that before, it's actually really kind of fun. And for the DIY person, it's kind of neat. Like, oh, yeah, I made that, um, versus buying it in the store. And, um, you know, little things like that. So it's not just as simple as, I mean, it is as simple as mix vegan mayonnaise with sriracha, but you can also make your own mayo. But that to me is a really great spread. You can use on a lot of different things and you can flavor your mayo. You can, you know, really customize it. Use a little garlic, use some ginger. And that's really what I want. I want to get people playing in the kitchen. I don't, I don't need you to follow my recipes like, you know, word for word in, in, by all means, uh, experiment, but if you're more comfortable working straight off a recipe, all of these will work for you as well. There's an edamame sriracha succotash that I really like. Um, if it's a little chilly where you are, you can serve it warm. I, I do like it cold, um, but you can certainly serve it warm too. That's a really easy one to kind of toss together. Uh, there's a few salads I think that are that are really kind of easy, but you'll find several times that I've got places where um, I, I introduce shortcuts and other places where I introduce more for the DIY, like, hey, if you want to do, if you wanted to make this on your own, here's how. Um, so 
you know, it's kind of a choose your own adventure book. And I like the idea of mixing the sriracha with like a mayonnaise or something that, you know, foods that I think of as sort of transitional foods to what I consider to be the healthiest human diet, you know, whole food plant-based with very little processed anything, whether it's, you know, flour or oil or, or anything like that, that when you, you know, when I was doing all those transitional foods, I really wasn't paying much attention to quantity. I was just, you know, slathering. Yes. You know, partly to make up for what I felt I perceived I was missing out on. When you add the sriracha, you don't need very much. You know, right. just, like I don't, I don't use oil practically at all. But my daughter has an Ethiopian friend, and we were going to do an Ethiopian cooking night. And I decided we needed to make um, a, a butter called nitrkebe, which is like mm-hmm. a um, a spiced butter. You cook the the butter for like an hour, very low heat, with uh, with all these spices and ginger and garlic. And I didn't want to use butter, so we used coconut oil. And so now we have in the fridge this thing of solidified, you know, golden yellow coconut oil with all these spices. And I put the teeniest amount, like on a on a piece of bread, mm-hmm. with with something else. And because it's got all those spices in it. I don't need a teaspoon or a tablespoon or even a quarter teaspoon, just just a hint. And I think sriracha can serve that function with a lot of other carriers that maybe we don't want too much of in our diets. Yeah, absolutely. And and how good is Ethiopian food, by the way? Uh-huh. I love I love Ethiopian. Um, the, yeah, it, it definitely serves as a great carrier. I mean, um, I do. I love to mix it in with pesto. I'll do like a sriracha pesto and. Yeah, and you're doing, you know, you're getting all your some good greens in there, and I like to do it with um, arugula to give it some real pepper kind of kick to it. I like, I like spice, I like flavor, I like punches, I like to be punched in the mouth with flavor, you know. So um, I, I tend to do like walnuts and um, and arugula. Those t- those tend to be the heavier ingredients in my pesto. Um, but yeah, and, and then mixing in the sriracha, and it really adds a great base for pasta, or if you wanted to use that as a pizza sauce, you know, and and you can certainly use a, a vegan cheese if you wanted to, or you can make, you know, there's all kinds of recipes out there for the DIYer that wants to do it. It's really kind of cool and rewarding to, you know, make a plant-based version of cheese. Don't expect it to taste exactly the same, of course, but, um, you know, you can still be quite pleased with yourself for making something that tastes really damn good. Um, it, it, it needn't taste exactly like the thing you're trying to replace because it's it's never really going to, and if, if that's what you're going for, you know, then you're... you're I, I, you're probably going to go running back to, to the standard American diet, which, you know, that's, it's just a matter of what, what you want. Do you want the flavor? Do you want the health benefits? Um, and, and you can have both. It's just not going to be the same flavor, but you can have stuff that's incredibly flavorful. It's just, you know. Right. Well, if you, if you come across my friend Miyoko Shinner's book on artisan vegan cheese. Yes, I have it. She, I've been making several of those recipes. She really surprised me with how close she got to what yes. I remember. Absolutely. Yeah, plus one, I will agree. It's a great, great book. So so I have two more questions for you. Sure. One of them I have to ask because you are the uh, sriracha, um, you know, the expert on sriracha. So I have to ask you about the uh, controversy over the factory. Have you been following that? Do you have thoughts? And maybe you could tell, tell folks a little bit about what's going on. Sure. So uh, Sriracha, the, the American version, um, has been made by a company called Hoi Fung Foods in uh, Rosemead, California, since 1983. Um, last year, 
they opened a brand new factory in Irwindale, which is just also just outside of Los Angeles. Um, it's an unincorporated city, big industrial city, not very many residents. I forget the exact numbers, but I'd read something that it was something to the effect of 1,400 people live there and 40,000 work there. So there's a big influx and outflux every day. But that said, um, they'd gotten this beautiful, beautiful $40 million build-to-suit facility um, with a with a big loan from the city of Irwindale with pretty sweet terms. It was, I believe, interest only for the first 10 years, and then after that they'd just pay off half the principal and the remaining half over a certain number of years. In in terms of loans, I'm, I'm not a financial person, unfortunately, but um, it, it appeared to be a really – everyone I talked to that is said, oh, that's a really sweet deal. Um and they bought out of it. They went to a bank and got less favorable terms. And I, I don't know. It just something seems strange. And then these uh, thirty residents from around the area were complaining of headaches and chilly smells and things that were just irritating their skin and eyes. Which I've been to the factory, the new factory, three times now, um, and I know what they're talking about. But I didn't experience it at all outside anywhere. It, there was one room where they are accepting the fresh chilies. And this was during the harvest season, which is over now. They only accept chilies from around, I think, August to late November. And they get all their chilies, all 100 million pounds last year, um, were, you know, are delivered in that small window. And it's all turned immediately. Within hours of being picked, those peppers are, are turned right into sauce. And then they're stored in, in barrels and distributed and bottled throughout the year. So going in that room where they're grinding up all the chilies and everything, oh, you bet, I was coughing and my eyes were watering. But... You know, they have protective gear for that, and it's inside this one room. Outside of that room, anywhere else in the factory, I smelled garlic, but no peppers, and anywhere outside of the facility, even with the chilies being delivered, I, I really felt nothing. So it was, it was a bit strange to me. I can't, I, I wouldn't want to imagine that anyone's making something up, but, um, I just didn't, it was nothing I experienced while I was there, and they really had trouble pinpointing it. They sent out some, men, um, people from the air quality management district, and they couldn't pinpoint anything. And then so a judge ordered them to shut down the portion of the plant that was causing the smell that they couldn't identify. <laughs> so it was kind of nebulous at best. Um, you know, like, what does that mean? What do we shut down? And, you know, I don't know. It just, it's streamed of something personal. I don't know if something happened to sour the relationship between the city and the company or, you know, it, I, I would guess maybe it has now, but I, I hope not. Um, because it's a great company and, and I can only assume it's a good city. I don't really know much about it, but if they provide a home for my favorite sauce, then I like the city. Um, so they appear to be, you know, churning along again. I'm sure they're going to address it and add a whole bunch more carbon filters or anything else they need to so that when it comes harvest time this year, that there's no problem. Um, and then they, I guess they introduced, some kind of new manufacturing process or change their manufacturing process. So there, there's no cooking that takes, takes place. So they are literally, um, they process the chilies very fresh. And I, I was told now they don't even ferment it. I mean, it's literally kind of instant chili mash and they add a few preservatives and stabilizers, which, you know, I, I'm a little torn about, but it is what it is. Um, there are versions out there without it. And the Thai versions usually don't have it, but not always. Um, so if it's something you're sensitive to, there are brands out there that you can get. Um, that don't include those preservatives. Um, anyway, but this process, because there's no cooking involved, the, the I don't know if it was uh, the California department, you know, some kind, so one California state agency wanted them to hold their product in quarantine for 30 days as a, as a continuing process, not just a one-time thing. It's after these have been bottled, 
you hold you hold the cases for 30 days and then you can release them. And it's just a quarantine and to make sure there's no you know bottles exploding from any kind of anything that could be going on in their bacterial activity. Um, it's just to make sure that the preservatives they're adding are doing their job and are keeping bacteria from growing and things like that. It's fairly standard, but it just the timing with it, with everything else that was going on, everyone was just freaking out like, oh my god. Um, but it's it's not something they've asked only of Hoifang Foods. They ask of other food producers who do similar processes where they're not cooking the product and they're dealing with fresh ingredients. It's just a, a safety precaution. Um, and and sriracha shipments are due to resume later this month, late late January. So everything appears to be fine. I think we're going to be okay. Um, but you better believe if people get in the way of you know us getting our sriracha, there's going to be hell to pay because it, people really raised up there were letters sent and governors i mean someone a mayor from a town in i think texas and philadelphia and um we're, we're writing letters you know bring your factory here we'll, we're happy to have you kind of thing so it was kind of amusing right well when i mean when you think about the types of industrial horror stories that we hear you know dumping dangerous chemicals polluting the water supply um you know antibiotics routinely fed to animals in factory farms this seemed like a very benign sort of issue that just had a lot of PR attached to it for various reasons. Yeah, and I, I tried not to, you know, not to add to any of any of it. But you know, I, at the same time, I wanted to report. I mean, my, um, you know, I'm pretty active on all the social media channels, um, just with sriracha stuff. You know, the sriracha cookbook pages on on all of those. I, I try to keep people informed of anything new recipes I find from other people. Um, because there are, there's people posting their own recipes, and I've got, um, if anyone's on Pinterest, I've got a really great board that's just vegan and vegetarian recipes, not just from my books, but from other people as well. And so I try to kind of serve as a, as a hub for sriracha information. But I, at the same time, I didn't want to add to the hype, and I assumed everything would work out, because they still have the Rosemead factory. They haven't closed it down. They wanted to keep it open to make sure the new machinery was working. They're very smart family, and a very smart company, and they're prudent, they're very responsible, and very slow. You know, this is their company's been 33 years in the making now, uh, Sriracha, 30, a little over 30 years in the making, you know, and they've never wanted to make the quick buck. They've just done steady, reliable growth. And, um, you know, I, I, so it doesn't, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> I finally rambled long enough that I, I didn't know where I was going, but I didn't want to add to the hype, basically. I knew it would be okay. There we go. And that they could go back to their Rosemead factory if they needed to. It would add some additional cost. And that's something they pride themselves on as well. They've never raised their wholesale price ever huh. in 30 years. So it's just inflation's grown, but so has their scale so that they can, you know, the economy of scale, they can buy things in big quantity at lower prices and they pass those savings on. Um, they're, they're very proud of the low price they have, um, for their product, that and the freshness, the fact that chilies are ground, locally grown and ground into sauce within hours of being picked. Those are their two really big points of pride. So, um, you know, I kind of knew it was going to be okay, and I didn't want to add to any, like, hysteria. But at the same time, I felt responsible to report what was going on. So, But I think we're going to be okay now. Great. Thanks. So one, one, one last question. You have a, um, an endorsement in the front cover of the book from my favorite cartoonist, uh, Matt Inman, who created theoatmeal.com. Um, how did you get that? Well, he, yes, he's a, he's a great, uh, cartoonist and he, he's got me in stitches more often than I care to admit. I mean, um, and he's got some comic strips, comic strips, plural that he's made about Sriracha that are just 
you know, they really spoke to the legion of of cult fans that loved sriracha. And, and for a lot of people, I think that was the awakening. Like, oh, I'm not the only one that loves this stuff that much. And, um, you know, he's got a very sort of dry sense of humor. And it works really well in just sort of um, praising sriracha. I mean, I think, I think it says it's, it's got the fire of a thousand dying suns and all these other different lines that just... You know, for someone who loves Sriracha as much as I do, it was like our, our, our battle anthem. You know, it was so fun to, to read through. And he's, he's made a few, um, Sriracha products. He's got some, uh, you know, under, underwear, women, women's and men's that have like a Sriracha design on them. And, um, you know, and so it just kind of came to be that he, he and I had been in touch a little bit because of our mutual affinity for the stuff. And I wanted to help him promote his products. And, um, he ended up, I, I did a sriracha gift pack a few years ago for SeriousEats.com and um, had included some of his stuff in as a prize in my books and a few other sriracha things that I'd found. Um, and that was the surprise for like the biggest sriracha fan. And then he ended up doing it the next year and included my books in his. And so, you know, we'd forged a little bit of a, a digital relationship and um, just mutual respect. And so when the time came for the second book, you know, I asked if he'd be willing to to put in some kind of little blurb, and he said, "Sure, he'd take a look." And you know, and came back with uh, something real nice and funny to say. And I ended up um, when he did that, um, when he did his gift pack, I ended up making a, a sriracha oatmeal recipe, so a savory oatmeal for breakfast. It was with rosemary and a little olive oil and sriracha and cashews and a little uh, liquid aminos or soy sauce. And it was so good. I, I put a fried egg on top, but you can absolutely put that out. And then it's completely vegan. Um, it was so good. I was that was another one. I was really like taken aback. Like wow, okay. I felt like a lumberjack afterwards. Like I could go chop down something with my hands. I, it just really fed my soul that morning. And, and so um, he ended up, you know, sharing that. And, and uh, yeah, when he came down for a book signing last time in LA, I finally got to meet him in person, which was really cool. He's, he's a really really great guy. And we got to just um, although we both realized after after we had dinner, not, neither of us used any sriracha, so we felt kind of like we'd failed. So maybe next time. Well, it'd be like two people who meet, you know, at Comic Con, and they're not wearing like Star Trek uniforms. Like, you exactly. could be, be normal too, right? That's right. <laughs> so yeah, next time we'll we'll make sure to fix that. Cool. Well, you know, it's a it's a great book. It's got so many recipes that I would cook for people um, that I was trying to convince of something. You know, it's, without me trying to convince them, the recipes themselves are going to do the job. And, you know, when you think about how many different cuts of meat there are, there's not that many. There's, you know, most people would go through life having maybe five or six. If you're, like, into French cuisine or very adventurous, you'll have maybe a dozen. But if you think about how many vegetables there are, and even, like, the saddest little suburban supermarket, they're all out there. We all grew up with them being badly cooked. And this is this is really a manifesto. Uh, to reclaim the kind of the, the best foods on earth. Uh, yeah, buy a leek, get a pick up a celery root and, and do something fun with it, or you know, uh, try a new mushroom variety you've never had before. Um, it can it can be so much fun. It really can, especially when you start doing side by side stuff like and learning how each you know little variety is different, or how these potatoes or how the russet potatoes are different from the you know Yukon Golds and so on and so forth. It's it's a lot of fun. So 
Randy Clemens, thank you so much for writing the book and for taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it, and I'm so grateful for the for the work you're doing to help the, the planet and the people be happier and healthier and more delicious. Well, thank you. Thanks for letting me uh, stand on a little soapbox for a while. <laughs> All right. Well, you got to get back to your uh, wheatgrass, right? <laughs> that's probably, oh, yeah, it's probably wheatgrass time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot. I'll talk to you again soon, I hope. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye.